I want to begin today with a story that I read recently, and it's a story of two Scottish men who bailed out over occupied Germany in World War II, and both were captured, and one was a regular officer and one was a chaplain. One was named McDonald. I don't know the chaplain's name, but they bailed out over occupied Germany, but their plane was shot, and they were captured and held in a German POW camp, prisoner of war camp for the remainder of the war. And the way this particular camp was set up, they separated the British or those from the area of Great Britain from the Americans by a fence. And for some reason, McDonald, the officer, had accidentally been put into the American barracks. So he and his friend would gather every day at the fence to exchange news. And they said that perhaps the greatest thing the most important thing, even more than food in the camp, was to be able to share any news that they might have heard. To confuse the German guards, they spoke in Gaelic, the ancient Scottish language. I studied that a little bit because I'm just, my wife and daughter say I'm filled with useless trivia, so I had to learn where Gaelic came from. It actually came from Ireland and immigrated in the 600s into Scotland and became the ancient tongue of Ireland and a form of it in Scotland and a form of it on the island Isle of Man and I could go on and on and that's useless trivia. But anyway, they spoke an ancient Gaelic and the Germans, of course, could not understand a word of it. Well, later on, the Americans somehow were able to actually uh, construct a homemade radio so they were able to get bits of news from the outside world. Then one day, McDonald shared at the fence with his chaplain friend so that the British could hear a bit of news toward what we now know as the end of the war. They heard that the German high command had surrendered in Germany. Well, so McDonald told his chaplain friend, chaplain went in and told all the British and Scottish and Irish soldiers what had happened? Well, you could just hear the shouts of joy come from the barracks. The Germans didn't know why they were so happy. The Germans did not yet even know of the end of the war. The guards didn't. But these others did. And so it changed everything. For three days before the Germans found out and left, there was such jubilation there in those, uh, among those prisoners. They said they were singing. They were shouting. They were waving to the guards. They were playing with the guard dogs. It changed everything. And the Germans didn't even know why they were so happy. Three days later, the Germans heard about it. And they just left in the middle of the night, leaving the gates wide open. They just left for fear of the reprisals that might come and did come to them. Well, why do I say all that? These men had been set free though in their hearts they were set free three days prior to the actual freedom. The story we're going to read about in our text for this morning tells of how you and I have been set free. It tells a story of how we are set free through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through its sacrificial death. And it tells even at the same time, those who were trying to put Him to death didn't realize that by putting Him to death, they were actually securing their own possible freedom of salvation. 
It's a powerful story with powerful lessons. So turn with me, please, as we continue in our study of the Gospel of John to John chapter 18, beginning with verse 39. And then we're going to go through the 16th verse of, the chap of chapter 19. John 18, 39, going through John 19, 16. Look there with me if you have your Bibles or your smartphones with you. This is Pilate speaking. He says, you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Isn't it interesting that Pilate used that particular phraseology? Do you want me to release your king, the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. That is an understatement. Verse 1 of chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And we're going to come back to that, friends. You just read that and say, okay, he got flogged. Oh, my goodness, there was so much more to it than just one simple word. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and drew a, threw a purple robe around him. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. If you'll remember previously, back in verse 38, he had already said, I find no fault in this man. Verse 5, chapter 19. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. In Latin, you know what it is? Ecce homo. And you can go to many places there in Jerusalem and find those Latin words inscribed, Ecce homo, behold the man. Behold the man. Well, I find no gra grounds... Anyway, verse 6, when the chief priests and the temple police saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves. I find no grounds for charging him. Verse 7, we have a law, the Jews replied to him. And according to that law, he must die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. Why? Why was he afraid? Ask yourself that question. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, You're not talking to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would, you would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it had not been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. You could write in there again. He set him down on the judge's bench in a place called the stone pavement. Have you ever seen the stone pavement? You just saw it a few minutes ago. 
the stone pavement. He brought him out to this place. In Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover. It was about six in the morning. Then he told the Jews, here is your king. But he shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. They shouted. Pilate said to him, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And then verse 16 as we conclude. So then because of them, he handed him over to be crucified And therefore they took Jesus away. Wow. First of all, see with me, there is the story. Here's the story of what happened to our Lord Jesus there in 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 those verses. I will tell you that in the book of Luke chapter 23, we see that Pilate also sent Jesus over to Herod. Why? Well, Herod, the Bible says in Luke 23 was in Jerusalem at that time for the Passover. Herod was in charge of Galilee. Pilate was in charge of Jerusalem. So when he realized that Jesus was a Galilean, he sent him over there to talk to Herod. Well, Herod could find no fault in him. In fact, Luke 23, 7, I believe, says that he wished Jesus would do a miracle for him. He wanted to see a good show. But we see that Herod said, I find no fault in him. So he sends him back to Pilate. Pilate, I don't see anything wrong with this man. And so Pilate, having heard that from Herod, having believed it himself, as has already been spoken back in verse 38, he goes out to the Jewish leaders to seek the release of this supposedly, seemingly innocent man. So he summons the chief priests and the rulers, and he tells them, I find nothing wrong with this man. So we could say at this point, Pilate is feebly trying to do the right thing, isn't he? So he tries to bargain with these people. He tries to bargain with the religious leaders. It was their custom at Passover to release one prisoner. It was just something they did to show the mercy of the Roman government. So could I release him or do you want me to release Barabbas? Well, the Bible already said he was an insurrectionist. He was a revolutionary. And so with the prompting of the leaders, the crowd said, we'll take Barabbas because, you see, Barabbas had been a revolutionary against Rome. And if we let him go, that's putting a, sticking a finger in the eye of Rome to let go of an insurrectionist, a revolutionary who had been fighting against Rome. Let us have Barabbas. Let him go. Well, that blew up in Pilate's face because that's not what he thought they would do. Well, the question is, who can explain the actions of a mob? Who can explain how a mob chooses its heroes? Well, because of the influence of the religious leaders and the nationalistic feelings of the day against Rome, they chose Barabbas. Well, never at a loss, Pilate tries a new strategy. He tries a new approach and that of sympathy because he had Jesus flogged. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he has him beaten almost to death. And he thinks, well, maybe they'll be sympathetic for this guy. So he brings out the broken, bruised body of the Lord Jesus and asks for a third time, will you let me let this man go? 
Well, hasn't he suffered enough? Take him yourselves. Let him go. But the religious leaders, of course, said, no, no, no. Crucify him. Crucify him. They were never at a loss for a reply. We've got a law, they said. He's got to die. He's made himself king of the Jews. That's what preachers call hyperbole, exaggeration. Jesus didn't make himself anything. He was born the king of the Jews. He was granted that title by the Father himself. He didn't have to make himself anything. And so we come to verse 11. We see the last words Jesus ever spoke to Pilate. And he says to him, I can let you go or I can put you down. Jesus said, son, you can't do anything except that which is allowed by the Father. I'm not in your power. You're in my power. Oh, my goodness. By the way, Jesus also says, this is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Scholars have debated what does he mean. What did he mean by that? What he meant by that was either Judas, who handed you over to me, or Caiaphas. They have the greater sin because they're both Jewish. They know the scriptures and chose to ignore them. But you, Pilate, are a Gentile, and you're a part of this process also, but they have the greater sin. What a dilemma Pilate was in. In fact, he comes out and they begin saying, wait a minute, if you let this man go, you're a friend against Rome. You're not a friend of Rome. You're an enemy of Rome. So Pilate's on trial now for a moment. And he doesn't like that. And so he says, take him and crucify him. Well, see the suffering of Christ, please. I've already told you they flogged him, didn't they? It says it there in verse 3. Now what does that mean? Excuse me, verse 1. And they were slapping him in verse 3. What is a, a flogging? It's a whipping now, how many of you, raise your hand if you saw the Passion of the Christ movie. I hated that movie. It made me cry worse than I've ever cried in my life. I didn't want to go see it because I don't like, I won't go see an R-rated movie. But my staff made me go. Actually kidnapped me and made me go. Well, you got to know something about Frank Page. And I apologize. I admit I'm not a good person. I know that. You know that. I like a little violence. I, I admit I, I enjoy it sometimes. I Especially when it's deserved, I, I must tell you, my wife says, I can't stand to watch that. And I said, I can. I like it. And I apologize. I know I'm not supposed to be that way. That's the carnal side of me that just comes out. Oh, my goodness. But I couldn't handle that movie because they were beating our Lord Jesus so unmercifully. Well, let me tell you, I mentioned this to someone this week. The Romans were experts at torture. Now you've heard of torture in the Middle East. You've heard of armies and special forces who know how to torture people. Well, let me tell you, the Romans were the first to perfect this art. And they could beat someone and inflict maximum pain, but they did it in a way not to cause unconsciousness or death. They didn't want the victim to ever lose consciousness. They wanted him to feel every bit of the pain. And so this whip was a, a whip that had leather strips in it. And at the end of those leather strips were little bits of metal or bone. And so as they would 
hit that back or that person wherever they would whip them. That bone and that metal and the leather straps would, of course, make indentions and striations and indeed cause terrible bleeding. But it was just surface enough that it did not cause them to lose consciousness. They wanted them to hurt and hurt bad. And so they beat our Lord Jesus. They beat him. And then verse 3 says they continue to slap him. And yes, it pains us to think the sinless Son of God could endure such cruelty. They mocked him. They beat him. Another place says they beat him with a rod. They continually slapped him. The verb tenses used in the Greek there show repeated, ongoing kind of slapping, mocking, beating. I'm telling you, they made fun of him. They put a crown of thorns upon his head, which did inflict pain because, as you know, a head wound bleeds worse than any other kind of wound. And they stuck that crown of thorns on him and mocked him by putting the purple robe upon him. It may have been the robe that had earlier been given or put upon him by Herod, the Bible says in the book of Luke. Don't you know that Satan in hell was having a heyday with every stroke of that whip? Don't you know he was dancing with joy every time the Son of God received that mocking punishment? He suffered for you and me. So not only see with me the story, not only see with me the suffering, see with me the spiritual lesson. What are the spiritual truths that we can find here? Now we've seen the chronology, the the story of what happened. We've We've seen the substance of it. We felt the pain of the, the description of the suffering. But we see a poignant question in verse 9. Because there Pilate makes that statement. Where are you from? Where are you from? Why did he ask that question? Well, both Greek and Roman mythology predicted and talked about visitations from the gods, plural. So maybe Pilate thought, this man, maybe he is different than a human being. We've seen in other scriptural synoptic gospel passages that our Lord Jesus was not like any other prisoner that anybody had ever seen. There was a dignity about him, a strength that they had never experienced before. Pilate felt like he was the one on trial in front of Christ, and he was. So here is he, he's, he's asking, man, you're something not normal about this. Something's not right about this. Where are you from? You remember that illustration I've used numerous times that I got many years ago in a preacher's conference as one of the speakers related what could have taken place from the, in the words of an African-American pastor, preacher. What might have happened when Jesus was in the temple at age 12, you remember that story? When this fanciful, mythical, possible conversation took place, the conversation was real. We know he talked with the Jewish religious leaders, but this is the way this preacher thought it might have gone. Boy, what is your name? Remember that? He said, well, on my mama's side, it's Jesus. 
But on my daddy's side, Emmanuel. Boy, how old are you? Well, on my mama's side, I'm 12. But on my father's side, eternity. Boy, where are you from? See, that's what Pilate was asking. He didn't know where, where is this man from? Well, on my mama's side, I'm from Nazareth. But from my father's side, glory. Remember that last question that preacher supposedly wondered was asked Jesus? Boy, what do you bring to sacrifice? On my mama's side, two turtle doves. By the way, that was the offering presented only by the very poorest of the poor. On my mama's side, two turtle doves, but on my father's side, myself. I give myself. Pilate didn't realize that's what this man before him was doing. He was about to die for the sins of Pilate and Caiaphas and Annas and Herod and you and you and you and you and you. He was about to die for us all. So we see this pensive moment there, this thought-filled time in verses 9 and 10. Why did Jesus not answer his question? Well, basically because Pilate really wasn't interested in spiritual truth. He didn't deserve an answer. And we see a spiritual lesson for us all to be found in this powerful rejection. Look at verse 15 and 16 again, please, quickly before we close. And they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? He keeps referencing Christ as the king of the Jews. And then they said so horribly, we have no king but Caesar. No good Jew would have ever said that. But it shows the level of hatred for Christ. For them to say, we have no king but Caesar. Well, my friends, that was terrible. Horrible. And I will tell you today in 2020, almost 2021, I doubt anybody in this room or listening over the internet or in the parking lot has ever been so vocal as to deny Christ and to set up someone else as king. But in our actions, in our priorities, in our lack of sacrifice, in our lack of witness, in our lack of ministry, we have done the same thing. And when we fail our Christ, we're saying, I have no king but Caesar. Oh, what a spiritual lesson this should be for us all. We see our Lord Jesus suffering, but I will tell you, my friends, we're not saved by having pity for a broken body of Jesus. We're saved by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in Christ. We must not confuse sentimentality with true spiritual emotion. It's one thing to shed tears at church, but it's another thing to serve Him Monday through Saturday. powerful spiritual lesson and I pray we will resolve today to be followers of Jesus he's done so much for us will we serve him will we serve him I pray the answer is an unequivocal yes
Let's resolve today to be followers of our Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I know we're fixing to celebrate Christmas. And we know why Jesus came. The sweet babe of Bethlehem came to be mocked, to be slapped, to be flogged, to be crucified, to pay for my sin. The sin of every man, woman, boy and girl, past, present and future. If we would but grasp hold of the forgiveness and the salvation that you so freely offer. So, Father, right now, in this moment of decision, in this moment of consecration, may we submit our hearts anew to you today, saying, Jesus, I will serve you. No questions asked, I will serve you. Good time and the bad, easy and the hard, I will serve you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.